if I don't oh. consent to being recorded. <laughs> what a way to start oh the pod, Aiden. Welcome back to the Basement Breakdown, ladies and gentlemen. After Notre Dame just beat number one Clemson at home, 47-40, to 40, double overtime. Brian Kelly and Ian Book, I have never been happier to say that I was wrong about you both. At least I think I was. Don't make me right in the ACC championship game. But we'll get to that when we get to that. For now, Notre Dame just beat Clemson. Uh, number two in the AP poll behind Alabama. I understand that. Uh, as long as they're ahead of Ohio State. Apologies, Ellen. Ohio State probably is a better team, but they've only played three games. One against Rutgers, one against Nebraska, and, a, and the third against a bad Penn State team. So, Notre Dame's number two. Clemson falls to number four. Can't, I mean, Clemson is legitimately a top four team because they did all – they scored 40 points on Notre Dame's defense with a backup quarterback who threw for the most yards any player has ever thrown for against a Notre Dame defense. Whew, what a game. Well, how, how was the viewing experience for you guys? I mean, Abby's pretty much I've kind of come to terms with the fact that that will be the best Notre Dame football game I see over my four years. I can't anticipate being on a bigger natural high than I was on Saturday night from approximately like 7 p.m. to like 3 a.m. Um, like just absolutely absurd. Just it felt like there was like 80,000 people in the stadium for the first time all year during some of the some parts of the game. And I mean, yeah, I don't really know. You can't really quantify it. I've watched more highlights from a game that I was at live than I've ever watched in my life. So as far as obviously there's things to work on, but this one is pretty sweet. Yeah, I've been watching highlights all week, honestly. It's just, I, I think enthralled, enwrapped are the words, are, are the words to describe how I watched that game. The only more exciting Notre Dame sporting event I've ever seen is um, the Women's Basketball Championship in Columbus when they won, because I went to that game. Um, but what a way to end, like, four years of football at Notre Dame. I mean, I don't think I could ask for a better last game in Notre Dame Stadium as a student, and I wept after it was over. Um, so as someone who continues to be a pessimist about Notre Dame football after that game, I don't know if I can ever complain about it ever again. So, but that remains to be seen. Depends how the rest of the season goes. But for now, I feel like I, I don't know how many more bad things I can say. Yeah, I uh... – I was not crying. I kind of wish I was. Now that you say that, it makes me feel like a lackluster fan. I did, my mind was racing. Ellen, you saw me. I was running around shirtless on the field. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. That was That is a hell of a way to go out uh, if that's the last home game you're ever going to attend, at least as an undergraduate. Um, my goodness. Oh, just thinking about it. I feel – did you guys see that Dalen Hayes video after the game? Where uh, I, someone, was, I was about three feet away from him. You were three feet away from him when he said that, or just like in general? You were six feet away from him because you were socially distancing. Yeah, I was very socially distanced while I stormed the field and uh, fist bump players. Yes, I was socially distanced during all of those activities. Well, no, sorry, six and a half feet away from Dalen Hayes because I wanted to be very safe. Well, I went from wearing a green morph suit to shirtless. I was I was feeling like Dalen Hayes. I was a I was a, feeling like a freaking animal out there. So, uh, what, Ellen? Don't give me that look. I was wearing a, I was wearing an all blue crushed velvet tracksuit. So that's pretty much the same vibe, I would say. Um, uh, I will yeah. never forget the look on your face as you slowly recognized that it was me standing in front of you. <laughs> I mean, I was looking through tears, Hayden. What can yeah, what can I say? I guess your makeup was running a little bit, wasn't it? Uh, what? Hayden, savage. <laughs> no, Man, no. I guess so. I'm not blaming you. I mean, it just shows how much you care. But anyway, um, Ellen, since tonight is your friend's birthday, and we'll give her a birthday shout out on the pod. What's her name? Happy birthday, Abby. Happy birthday to Abby. Before you go and celebrate with her, because we don't want to hold you too long, just give us your biggest takeaways and uh, player of the game for Clemson. Oh gosh. Um, well, I'll start, I'll start with my hot take. 
Well, actually, all right, no, no. I'll make you guys wait for it. Biggest takeaway is that to me, that game, and, and I do say this with a little bit of a caveat that it wasn't um, Trevor Lawrence playing, but to me, that game solidified Notre Dame as a contender as opposed to a pretender. I think the last four or five years have all been Notre Dame on the outside looking in, pretending to be a top top five, top four team, um, and not really being able to get, get over that hump. We saw it in the in the Cotton Bowl. We saw it in in the couple times we've played Georgia recently. But in this this game, to me, made me reevaluate the way I think about Notre Dame football as a program in light of, like, the whole college football landscape. Um, so that's my biggest takeaway. My player of the game, you guys are going to love this, John Doerr. <sighs> Making those extra points, that's clutch. That's the definition of clutch. I mean, you can, you can, you can score a touchdown in overtime, but if you don't get the extra point, you're not going to win. You're not going to tie it. So player of the game, John Doerr. Amen. Amen. I experienced that heartbreak with Kentucky and Ole Miss earlier this year. Yes, Aiden, Kentucky football sucks. They lost to Missouri. I know it. I don't care. Notre Dame just beat Clemson. And, yes, I was nervous as all heck when, when Doer was lined up for those extra points, even though he hasn't missed one since literally the first one he ever attempted against Navy in 2018. But, yeah, that was – so, yeah, that's, that's impressive. I would have given it to – Jeremiah Wusu or oh, uh, second Koromoa. Yeah. Or maybe even maybe Kyron. But uh honestly, I might just give it to the offensive line though. I don't think I mean people are talking about the offensive line, but they're not really talking about them as like the MVPs of the game, like I feel some people should be. Because Clemson was bringing blitzes all night long and Kyron was picking them up and the offensive line was giving book time. That was that was something. So was was the Doer thing your hot take? It was, yes. Okay. I roast him regularly. Maybe maybe if he since he's been listening to our podcast religiously since I first appeared on the basement breakdown um, last fall. Hopefully this this podcast will bring him a little bit of peace. I remember he was one of the first ones to run on the field when the refs blew it dead on that fourth and twenty-four. Uh, that was that was fun to see. Um, Aiden, before we get to your and my discussion of it, we'll do a quick preview of Boston College uh, because if there's one thing that I'm sure a lot of Notre Dame fans are doing right now, they're dreading a repeat of 1993 when Notre Dame beat the number one team in the country and then lost to Boston College the next game. So Aiden, go ahead and talk about the Boston College defense a little bit. Yeah, well, first off, we got to stop talking about 1993. It is such an overplayed storyline. It was, I mean, I've heard it. I'm going to start. I want to find an over under bet to place on how many times the announcers on ABC will mention it before the game on Saturday, because they're always looking for ways to put Notre Dame on upset alert. They put Notre Dame on upset alert, regardless of who they play. And so this is their favorite little storyline of something that happened 27 years ago that has zero relevance on tomorrow's game. The last time Brian Kelly lost to an unranked opponent as a ranked team was against Texas in 2016. And that was when they finished four and eight. So I don't think that even counts. And then the last time before that was 2014. So this isn't, this isn't 1993. This team is so much better than the 1993 team. And they beat a team that was way better than the 1993 Florida state team. And so, sorry, I might've gone on a little bit of a rant. Well, the question is the BC defense, right? Yes. Okay. But, anyway, but I understand where you're coming from. That's how you really feel, Ian. It, so, it, no, that was it. That was that was pretty much it. Thank you for listening and putting up with that. Um, so the BC defense is <clears throat> the better unit of their team. They rank, uh, I think, they're a top forty in points per games allowed. They are Jeff Halfley came from being the Ohio State defensive coordinator, so he's been a defensive-minded coach, except for when he's, you know, choking leads against Clemson in the college football playoff, but that's a different story. Um, but so yeah, he's, Ellen, Ellen doesn't like that, folks. Yeah, well, that I, I saw I saw Ellen fist bumping at Ohio State, so I had to remind her that Notre Dame actually just did something that Ohio State's never done, and that's beat Clemson. So, but anyways, that's it. That's another story. We can we can talk about that a different day. 
but the BC defense is actually a pretty decent unit. They're going to be, they might be missing some players due to injury this weekend, but they're pretty experienced. They're uh, some of the guys to look, look for uh, off the edge, a rusher named Max Roberts. He's got four and a half sacks, five tackles for loss. Uh, linebacker Mac, Mac Richardson has eight tackles for loss, three and a half sacks. So those guys are always in the backfield for BC. Uh, and they're going to be making things definitely they'll make things tough on Kyron Williams as the offensive line tries to open up lanes. Um, but they're also really vulnerable. They've BC has been beaten in a number of different ways. Um, we saw against Clemson. If you look at their kind of the three losses that BC has had against Clemson, they got absolutely destroyed in the sm- in the passing game out of the backfield. ETN had like 160 something. He had a crazy amount of yards just in the passing game. Um, against Virginia Tech, their quarter, the Virginia Tech quarterback ran for like 160. And so these are all things that are play into the strengths of Notre Dame's offense. Those small passes out of the backfield, using Kyron Williams, using Chris Tyree, getting those small passes, and then maybe occasionally opening up the playbook, which we finally saw against Clemson, and really hitting those explosive plays where BC has been particularly weak. Yeah, Boston College – you know, Jeff Halfley's working wonders in Chestnut Hill. They're they're gonna I think that if you give them time, they'll be something special. But for right now, they're they're definitely still in that rebuilding phase, albeit an advanced one. Um and to discuss what has really been, I think, a surprise this year, Ellen, uh talk to us about the offense a little bit. My guy Jeff, he knows how to win. So he's using what he has to cobble together a fairly successful BC team as successful as you can be when you're five and three. Um, but you look at their losses and, and it's not horrible. Um, our guy Phil Dracovic taking over as the starting quarterback this year. Um, we, were, we were talking about this a little bit before the show. His offensive line is horrible. So he's gotten sacked 22 times um, in eight games. So that's pretty tough. Um, but he's done what he can. He's got a completion percentage of 62. Um, he's had 15 touchdowns, four interceptions. Um, so he's, he's doing what he can. And then the main guy to look for is, um, Flowers, the receiver who has 600 yards, um, and six touchdowns on the season. Um, so BC averaging about 26 points a game. Um, like we said, five and three. Um, so they're definitely, they're no Clemson, but also, this is never you, – you can never look past any game. Um, so I, I think since BC gave Clemson a little bit of a run for their money two weeks ago, um, the Irish is going to have to be aware of the fact that they can use their weapons in an, effect, in an effective way when they choose to. 22 sacks. That's one for every year your roommate and I have been on this earth. Okay. So um, – uh, well, and the running game is is just atrocious this year too, isn't it? They had a what was his name uh, David Bailey, I think, taking over as running back one for AJ Dillon. How what are his stats looking like? Because I know it's not He's averaging less than four yards a carry, um, four hundred twenty nine yards on one hundred and ten attempts. So that's pretty tough. It's amazing how a Boston College offense is not running the ball well, and yet they're doing all things considered better than maybe probably better than last year honestly um but yeah um yeah we're not going to go into the whole 93 florida state boston college debate because we don't want to make aiden any more mad and because that is a, a you know a, a tired talking point at this i'm not to quote my mom i'm not mad i'm just disappointed in the lack of creativity in the storylines that are being produced for this game <laughs> oh, I love it when we give our parents shout outs on here. Um she won't be listening. Oh no. She oh, listens to other things, but it's tough, you know. She doesn't like sports. Such a such a down and out journalist, Aiden. You do what you can. You're you're following the storylines, you're being gritty, but I just, just yeah, love. You know, it's just it's a tough, it's a tough, it's a long road. But um, having been in the world of media for approximately a year, I I really have experienced this <clears throat> this absolute slog that is covering sports that my mom doesn't care about. Uh, what, what was it? Uh, Jim Valvano, NC State basketball coach, once talked about when they beat uh, Houston in the NCAA championship, said that his own father 
who loved him and raised him, bet on Houston and took the points. So even, even you know, the greatest stories are born when your parents don't have faith in you. Let, let that be the lesson. Um, yeah, but to be fair, Joe Burrow's dad placed a $200 bet on him to win the Heisman and won four th- like $400,000. So there's two, two sides to that coin, if that's the phrase that I'm trying to think of. And just imagine how good Joe Burrow would have been if he'd bet even less money. I'm kidding. Uh, so what? Just a motive. And just imagine how proud my parents must be of me after watching through so many high school sports games that matter so much. Uh, just, just so much, so much excitement around here, you guys. All right, let's move on. Um, again, we're we're gonna move through this a little bit differently because Ellen's got a birthday celebration to get to. So we're gonna hop right into fact or fiction. Do either of you have a hot take ready to go, other than Ellen saying she wants to or to be her MVP? Okay, um, I'll just get us started then. Um, fact or fiction? Kyron Williams and Tommy Tremble, and they're they're different years, are both four-year players. So that means Tommy Tremble comes back next year, and Kyron Williams is here for two more years. Fiction. Tommy Tremble maybe fact. Kyler, uh, what? Um, William Kyron Williams, no way. No way he plays for four years. Because did Dexter didn't play for four years, did he? Yeah, he did. He He's, did? And what about, did Tony Jones leave after three, or did he play for four? Tony years? Jones was a – I think he was – He left after he, three. I thought he was – No, there. Tony Jones was either four or five. I think it was four. Well, he still had a year of eligibility left, so. He was – it was four years. So, yeah, he, he could have come back as a grad year, a student this year. So, I'm going to say fiction, because if Tony Jones thinks he can make it in <laughs> – in the big leagues without finishing his college career, certainly Kyron Williams can make it. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because we can get back into shouting out our parents because you and my dad would agree. Awesome. Weren't you and my dad agreeing over Jafar Armstrong last week and now you're agreeing over Tony Yeah, Jones? bring your dad on the pod sometime, Hayden. He, want, he wanted to hop on an instant reaction at one point, but uh, my mom quickly said, no, you're going to say something tremendously stupid and get him in trouble. Uh, but yes, you and him agree very much on the whole Jafar Armstrong and Tony Jones debate. Uh, I love my guy, Tony Jones did an interview twice with me when my audio didn't work the first time because I double tapped the voice memo record button. So it turned off as soon as it turned on hashtag journalism problems. But yeah, I don't, uh, I don't foresee, I, I think Tremble will come back. He's been fantastic this year as a blocker. Um, but yeah, he's, he's kind of slowed down since he caught a few passes against Duke and USF. Um, they've gone to Michael Mayer a lot more. Um, so yeah, I'll see him coming back. Kyron, I could, I could see it going either way just because he's, he's smaller. And because like next year, I think Chris Tyree will play a bigger role with him as he continues to develop, which might take away some of his production next year, but yeah, I see where that's coming from. Aiden, what about you? Um, <clears throat> I'd have to go fiction as well. And that goes to the – this year, even even this year, I've been stunned with the lack of national attention that Kyron Williams has gotten. And even after <clears> – I mean, even after he so clearly outplayed Travis Etienne, who's hailed as, like, one of the top two backs in the country, and Kyron Williams is still, like, not getting that much attention. He got <clears> – <throat> you know, he's been – noticed here and there but he just seems like a guy that's he's gonna put come out I think maybe with even a chip on his shoulder next year and just be like I put up these fantastic numbers and nobody like paid attention like he was just he's just been under the radar this entire year everyone even Clemson fans are like Notre Dame wouldn't have wouldn't have run the ball against Clemson had they had a couple of their starting linebackers like even now they're making excuses for Kyron Williams. And so I'm saying like Kyron Williams going to come out next year and just put up a monster campaign. And he's, I'm not really seeing a ton of running backs that can put up similar numbers to him next year. And so I think he puts up a monster campaign. His draft sucks, shoots up and he gets out of Notre Dame and lets Tyree uh, keep doing his thing for a few years. 
Tremble, I could see coming back just because I don't really necessarily see him as a guy that's going to play on Sundays. Um, he might be a really physical tight end, and I could maybe see him carving out a role, but I don't think he's got anything to really – that really makes me think he's going to leave after this season. Uh, yeah, I, the, all valid points. Um, all right, Aiden, Ellen, which one he wants to go next? Um, I'll go. Uh, <clears throat> fact or fiction, after what – now, granted, it's Clemson. Granted, Clemson has great receivers. But after what can really only be described as a hideous performance from our cornerbacks this past Saturday – does Notre Dame hold Zay Flowers under 100 yards receiving? Fact, they do hold him under uh, because they don't have to dedicate as many resources to stopping Travis Etienne. Um, yeah, I mean, and let's, let's just bring that up while we're at it. Travis Etienne rushes for 28 yards on 18 carries, his longest of which was 13. So on 17 carries, on 17 other carries, he logged a total of 15 yards. That's just incredible. Like, and and granted, Clemson's offensive line is not great, but like, Travis Etienne is. He's going to be a college football Hall of Famer. So, uh, you know, Boston College does not make you respect the run game that much. And so I think that the linebackers can drop back a little more and the corners don't have to worry as much. You don't have to have Kyle Hamilton doesn't have to be like watching Travis Etienne at all times, making sure he doesn't break away. He can play back a little bit more. So yeah, I'm going to say that they do hold Zay Flowers under a hundred. Um, I'll say fact as well. Pretty much the same logic as Hayden. I think you hit all the big points. Um, you can be a little bit more generous with where you put your resources against Boston College because they're not horrible, but they're not – they're really not that good. So, I don't think it should be – and also, I think it's probably a little bit easier to pick off Boston College receivers um, than it is Clemson. So. Before Aiden gives his own take, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Kyle Hamilton had, what was it, 15 or 18 interceptions in fall camp going into his freshman year, and like half of them were against – Phil Dracovic. So if there's one thing Kyle Hamilton knows how to do, it's pick off Phil Dracovic. So that's a plus for Notre Dame. But Aiden, go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to say, you know, I, maybe it's, it's slightly pessimistic. I'm going to say fiction. And it's not really because I anticipate Notre Dame having a huge amount of trouble in this game. It's just that I think I think the clear biggest weakness on the Notre Dame defense has been their quarterback cornerbacks getting burned a few times. We've seen Nick McLeod been generally solid, but even against Pitt, he was getting burned a couple of times on deep routes against, you know, a backup quarterback that's barely played. And Tariq Bracey looked not fantastic last week and to the point that he got pulled from the game. And so I'm not confident that uh, Dracovic, you know, I, I'm not the biggest Dracovic fan, I'm relatively glad he's out of Notre Dame, uh, which I know is contrary to what a lot of Irish fans think. But to be honest, like I just I think Dracovic will hit on a couple of those deep routes because Notre Dame seems to have consistently been victimized by one to two of those deep balls a game. And once you get one or two of those deep throws, then it's just a matter of Dracovic hitting his favorite receiver on a handful of slants throughout the game, kind of pile up the yards. So I think. I think just because of my deep – until Notre Dame proves that they can stop the deep ball and they're going against an offense that is pretty much just like a home run or strikeout kind of offense, I think Zay Flowers does rack up 100 yards. That's a good point too because Clemson – or I mean, BC did have some success with the deep ball against Clemson. Phil was throwing some absolute dimes, um, like some 30, 40-yard passes. So that is, a, that is a good point. I think Phil did end up uh... – what less than fifty percent completion against Clemson, though, or right around it? Okay. it was something right about fifty percent because he basically, I think, Clemson had a, or no, BC had like sixty-six yards of offense in the second half or something. They didn't like that. score a point, so it was, they didn't yeah. score a point. I think they got. I mean, yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty disgusting oh, to watch. Yeah. So, you know, uh, as a Notre Dame fan, I was glad because like we wanted Clemson to be undefeated coming into that game. 
Um, I think it would have taken a lot of the juice out if we were handing them a second straight loss rather than their first regular season loss in three years. So, but yeah, it was it was pretty hideous watching Dirkovic try to close out that game. It was it was pretty ugly. So, Ellen, take us home. All right, fact or fiction? <clears throat> Phil, having been in the Notre Dame program, gives him a tangible advantage in this game. Aiden, you want to take that one first, or I? I'm uh, struggling to come up with like I tend to say fiction, just because I think Notre Dame has one of the best, if not the best, defensive coordinators in the country, Clark Lee, um, and I think he's going to be very well aware that Jakovic knows a little bit about what Notre Dame does, and so kind of my my two part answer to this is. Hayden mentioned it earlier. Jakovic never really looked that great in no, in a Notre Dame uniform. He's getting picked off left and right by Kyle Hamilton. He had an opportunity to win the job from Ian Book and just looked horrible. And so I don't know how well he ever really knew the Notre Dame system, to be honest. Like, he seemed just never to be comfortable in it. And the, so that combined with the fact that he's facing a top – an elite defense with an elite defensive coordinator, I don't – I think that becomes pretty much a wash. I don't think it gives him too much of an advantage. Yeah, I'm going to say fiction. I was actually thinking more along the lines of, like, him giving BC notes on Notre Dame's offense, which I think is a moot point at this point because, uh, like, you know, Chip Long's no longer offensive coordinator and, and the offense is just so different. But, yeah, Aiden, you bring up a good point. I mean, the defense is just so good under Clark Lee and they have such great personnel that it – and. Jerkovic is, I mean, he's been playing well this year, but like he's just not the elite level of quarterback that like Brian Kelly said he was when Notre Dame recruited him to, you know, pick Notre Dame's defense apart like DJ Uyongalale did for Clemson. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say fiction. It does not give him a tangible edge. I'm gonna say fiction too, um, because I think that the instinct is to say fact, because you can say Say, oh, how, how can a guy who spent two years in a program not have a leg up? But I agree with you guys in that, like, things have changed enough. And Phil was never a very integral part of this team to begin with. That, like, I don't think that that does much. And, and the, I'm trying to think who it was. Maybe Drew Pine? I don't – one of the Notre Dame quarterbacks said earlier in the season, like, Oh, I don't, I don't memorize. I don't have any of the plays memorized because, like, I'm afraid I'll mess it up. And like, I don't even look at the playbook because, like, it's too scary. Um, I don't remember who it was, but like, I wonder if that was how Phil was. He knew he wasn't gonna play, so I don't even know if he's looking at the playbook. But hmm. I don't remember hearing that quote. But um, yeah, I mean, Phil, like, the issue with Phil wasn't just like on the. It was like he, uh, you know, reportedly. Uh, just didn't like he didn't handle it well when he did not succeed at the start Um, and he did not again reportedly uh, handle the whole full-time college student full-time college athlete dynamic very well Um, and it just his confidence went to hell when all of it just started spiraling Um, and they we're trying to dig him back out, but it didn't help that, like, apparently behind the scenes, like, you hear rumblings that the coaches might have been bad-mouthing him. And, like, you know, when he leaves and he's waiting for a transfer waiver, Phil himself posted a picture on Instagram of himself in a BC uniform behind – in, like, a jail cell with Brian Kelly standing at the gates. Like, he wasn't letting him be eligible. Uh, which I think ended up not being the case. And that was like a very immature thing of Phil to do. Um, and and the offense just wasn't suited for Phil. I mean, there's a reason that it operated better in 2018 when Ian Book came in uh, than when Brandon Wimbush was in there. And it was just more suited to a drop back passer instead of a dual threat quarterback. So all that said, I think most Notre Dame fans wish Phil the best. Um, and like we've alluded to, some may wish that he's still the quarterback. But after the Clemson game, uh, if you wish he was still the quarterback, I think that they should 
Brom. Uh, and now we say welcome to senior sports writer Charlotte Edmonds, who uh, is joining us uh, at the tail end of Factor Fiction. Charlotte, um, we were talking about how Phil didn't come here to play school. Oh, yeah. No, he, he came there for one purpose, and he left with one purpose. Um, Although I did hear he might have had a love interest at BC, which may have fueled that decision. But pretty sure, Wait, okay, so this is some tea. I'm oh, sorry. okay, Charlotte, Charlotte's hopping on Charlotte, Zoom yeah. right away. Wait, giving I, have, us the scoop. I have two bits of tea. Um, this is just me being creepy, but I do recall that he had a high school girlfriend that he would always post about. And the other day during the Clemson game, I was like, I wonder what he's up to in life besides playing Clemson. All pictures had been deleted. So I don't know. Tea. They totally broke up. Tea. Not really tea. That's just like basic Insta stalking. This also isn't really tea. But the other day, my brother was flying home from New York and he had a connection in Atlanta. And he called me. It was like one of the um, Boston College off or defensive linemen tore his ACL. And he was sitting next to my brother on the plane and was going home to Georgia to have surgery. And apparently it happened like a week and a half ago. Man, Charlotte, Charlotte bringing the scoop. Um, also, fun, just a fun story for the hell of it. Um, when uh, freshman, when Phil's freshman year was in 2018 and Notre Dame beat Syracuse in Yankee Stadium in the Shamrock Series game. Those that, horrible uniforms. Horrible. Oh. Disgusting. Absolutely horrifying. Okay, I'm not, we're, we're not going to start another fact or fiction over whether or not those uniforms were good. That 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 they shouldn't were, be a debate. They're disgusting. They were tacky. I'll give you that. They were tacky. I kind of appreciated them just for how fugly they looked. But no. yeah. yes, I know. I know that word only from Mean Girls. But that's beside the point. Anyway, my story being that last that that night after the game. Um, we were having a social gathering in my dorm, shout out Zom House, uh, back when social gatherings were not taboo, and these guys come to the dorm, and they're trying to get in, and we're not letting them in. Well, I was not part of that group. I was just an observer, and they were saying, this is Phil Jerkovec. Like, he's, he's you know, backup quarterback. Like, you should let him in. They were flying back from New York. They would not have been back in time for this party, for one thing. Second, they're not pronouncing his last name correctly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's that. I think that might have encapsulated Phil's Notre Dame tenure better than pretty much anything else. Uh, but I may be wrong about that. But anyway, um, Ellen, we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and get your prediction, and then we'll let you take off. Okay, <clears throat> I'm going to say, all right, I'm going to say this could very well be a trap game because that's how you have to start every single Notre Dame prediction is that it could be a trap game or it could just be a loss, loss outright. But this could be a trap game, especially since um, spirits are high after last week's win. However, I think that Boston College is not that good. I think Clemson was – Clemson fumbled the bag when they were trying to adjust to Trevor Lawrence's absence, um, and that was just kind of a disaster. So what happened to Clemson against BC is not something that's remarkable or going to happen again, I don't think. Um, but I think the Irish will – Instead of being like hungover from last week's win, they'll be energized by it. So I, sorry, my roommate's texting me. Um, so I'm gonna say Notre Dame 56, Columbus, I mean Boston College, um, 23. Is that a real score? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's possible. That's that's bold. I, um. Basically, I'm word vomiting at this point. I'll say maybe I'll take it down. And, maybe I'll take it down to 49. I don't know, you guys. My predictions are always horrible and they're always very, very wrong. So, like, what do I have to lose at this point? I'll say 49, 49, 23. Notre Dame win. 
um, fast start and strong finish. All right, thank you, Ellen. We will get to the rest of our predictions in a little bit because uh, we want to talk to Charlotte about the Clemson game. For now, we will say so long to you, Ellen. Uh, enjoy the birthday festivities. Godspeed, everyone, and go Irish. All right, that leaves us with three once again. Charlotte, you joined us late, so just talk to us about what you thought of the Clemson game, your big, your big takeaway from the game, and who you thought was the player of the game. Okay, um, my big takeaway of the game is that Clemson is still really, really good. That they can, I don't, I don't think that's a knock on Notre Dame, but that Clemson can take us down to the wire. Um, with a backup quarterback on the road. They're just, they're one of those teams that can reload that way. Um, I think that, I'm trying to think of what the, the other big takeaways. Really, I thought that overtime game, the overtime and the double overtime came down to game management. And the fact was our defense had spent so little time on the field in part because there was a turnover, a quick score, and then we got the ball back. They came out for those final four snaps, just completely energized. They had they had basically been sitting for essentially the last 30 minutes, and they came out looking for blood. Um, so that works in our favor, but also credit to the offense for managing that and still managing to score when they were on the field for so long. So, um, yeah, that's kind of like my – I thought it was – I thought they looked like they – I would say this, they looked like they belonged there. I'm not saying, I still think seven out of 10 times, especially with Trevor Lawrence in the mix, Clemson wins that matchup and people are going to be upset by this. I'm not sure that Notre Dame, oh, I don't know if people are going to be upset, but someone might be upset by this. I don't really think Notre Dame is probably the second best team. I think we're a top five team. I think you can make an argument for us, but I don't think, certainly don't think people who are upset that we're not the number one team, I don't follow that logic. You could make an argument for us being a number one team, but I think there's it's very reasonable to assume that we're not the number one team. But we beat the number one team, so we deserve to be in that conversation. So, But I did think on Saturday from the opening snap, it wasn't just when the energy came, from the opening snap, Notre Dame, for the first time since I've been here in a marquee matchup, looked like they belonged there. Even Georgia, which it was a close game, they never really looked like they belonged there. You know, they got a few things the other way. There's a uh, fumble that Chase Claypool picked up. You know, uh, Cole Komet had a huge game, but they never really looked like they thought they earned that they belonged on that same field. And things looked different. When, when they got hit, they didn't, you know, when Clemson took the lead with three and a half minutes left, they didn't break down. When Ian Book turns the ball over, they got back out there. Even when they had the ball with a minute and a half left and they had to score, they were fine with things. So that definitely the team looked more mature across the board and the defense was just unreal. I think game ball. For what it's worth, Ellen gave hers to Jonathan Doerr of all people. Okay, you can make a case for that. The amount of times it came down to him not botching it. Um, I would say the defense in general. Defense yeah, I, gave in particular. Mine, I gave mine to Jeremiah. Um, Jeremiah, Dalen Hayes, they they still, I mean, Uyangalele put up 400-something passing yards. Most ever by an opposing quarterback against Yeah, him. but they limited him to 33 points in regulation. And even though he was putting up the stats, it never felt like – he was just putting putting them on wheels and that they couldn't hang with them. So that one goes to defense. And they held Travis Etienne to 28 rushing yards. Like yeah, it really shut down the rushing game. And on the flip side, Kyron Williams, you know, ran pretty well, had a nice little uh, touchdown. Unfortunately, I actually missed that touchdown, but I watched the highlights afterwards. I was walking in right as it happened, but certainly was a good start to things. Yeah, uh, everything you said, I agree with. Um, if anyone puts an asterisk on this game, they're an idiot because that, like, Clem I mean, DJ Uyangalale 
behind maybe the best quarterback in the country behind Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, and he's backing up one of those two. So like, yeah. And this defense, you know, no respect for Mac Jones. I mean, Mac Jones is a really good quarterback. He's got great weapons around him, but when he but he's not like the rusher that like any of those guys are, you know. So I mean, he's he's like what you would hope Ian Book would be at his best, like sort of like just like the ultra game manager in my mind, which is probably disrespectful to Mac Jones. I'm sure he's not a game manager. <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> I'm just saying like wow. He like leads the country in passing yards. How is that game management? I don't mean like that. I mean just like he doesn't have like the arm of a Fields or a Lawrence Uy- or a Uyangala. Like he's an operator. He has a really high completion percentage. He's better than Book ever has been. Don't get me wrong. Like he's not a game manager. I'm just trying to think of good a good way to describe him relative to Ian Book. Okay, I, what, what I, think, I mean, oh, he's I'm just better. We were having this debate earlier, Charlotte. Matt, <laughs> this is the second time we've talked about cute quarterbacks on the podcast, which is just – Who did Ellen have to say? Oh, she, we were talking about Ian Book and how we had upset fans that were – strictly upset because they were sad to see the cute quarterback fumble on Saturday. Yeah, that was in the fan reactions column that I wrote after the game. Someone said that there are many fans who can't see my uh, Zoom chat. I just informed the boys that I think Mac Jones is cute. That's why I brought him. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. Anyway, I'm not trying to disrespect Mac Jones. Great quarterback. He might win the Heisman. He should win the Heisman this year. I don't know. Kyle Trask, I think, might have more of an argument. Just Kyle Trask has some argument. I mean, he's. I mean, he just threw what five, four touchdowns in five consecutive games, which no quarterback has ever done in the SEC, and he doesn't have the personnel that Alabama does, other than like he has a better tight end than Kyle Pitts. Yeah, he's got Kadarius Tony too. I yeah, Trask definitely has an argument. In my opinion, in my opinion, right now it's Mac Jones one, Trask two. I think I think other than the touchdowns, Mac Jones has a better better stats in general, um, and I know he's working with some better weapons. But yeah, I would I would take Mac Jones personally, but I think it's Jones and then Trask as a kind of a top two. But yes, getting back to the original point, which was everything Charlotte said, I agree with. Um, and and mentioning like Williams' opening touchdown, that was like I won't that wasn't the play of the game. I think Avery Davis's final drive and regulation moments were the biggest plays of the game. But like that opening play just set the tone. Cause I like at that moment, I, like the thought I had was this team is different. Like they just doubled the amount of points they scored against Clemson two years ago with like on the second play from scrimmage, like this team came out and punched them in the mouth. They're just built different. Uh, and Aiden, we haven't gotten to ask you yet about what your thoughts are. So, what was your big takeaway and player of the game? Um, I mean, I, I mentioned kind of one of my earlier takeaways, which was that the cornerbacks are becoming a little bit concerning. Overall, the defense played really well, but they're giving up a lot of deep passes. I, even though I, I, I remained confident that Notre Dame was going to win during overtime, um, I will say it was a little bit uh, frustrating to be entirely – I was on the side of the stadium, so right behind the end zone that they were going to in the first in, in the first overtime. And so it was a little bit frustrating. You know, everyone gets hyped up. They're playing the music. Clemson comes out and throws a 25-yard touchdown pass to start the game – or start overtime. And obviously it ended up getting overturned a little bit and then becoming a one-yard touchdown run. But that – there just felt like there was too many times where it was like, wow, that Clemson receiver is really open again down the field and it didn't turn into anything game breaking and Notre Dame responded, but given the number of deep balls Notre Dame's given up, I'd say if there's kind of a concerning takeaway, it'd be that the cornerbacks have to be better. Um, Especially if you think about any kind of road to a national championship type season is going to involve beating Trevor Lawrence again, beating Mac Jones and beating or possibly meeting back Jones, possibly beating Justin Fields, maybe Trask slips in there. You're talking about quarterbacks that have the weapons and the arm to just, I mean, decimate Notre Dame's cornerbacks if they continue to play at a level where they're giving up three 50-yard passes a game. And so that was kind of my – that was my concerning takeaway. But that being said, 
I was more optimistic than anything. Um, I'd say player of the game. I'm going to go with a dark horse here. Uh, you know, maybe not Jonathan Doerr, dark horse. I'm going to go with Shane Simon, um, buck linebacker. He's been decent, not great this year. And he's been, you know, the most we've heard about the buck linebacker position was when third string Jack Kaiser stepped in against USF and had a huge game. Shane Simon has been a borderline liability for Notre Dame. And all of a sudden he looked like a guy that, you know, would start on pretty much any team in the country um, on Saturday. Two pass breakups against DJ Uyongalale at the buck linebacker position. Yes. I wanted to mention him. I'm so glad you brought him up. That man played off two pass breakups he was also being you know just kind of a force back there in terms of you know bottling up the run game and making sure those screen passes to etn didn't go anywhere he was all over the place whether he was making the tackles or not he was forcing the flow of play one way or the other he just he was a difference maker for the first time all year and on a day that notre dame's like i like i mentioned the cornerbacks maybe weren't playing up to the ability that they can play to it was critical that somebody else rose and played better than they normally ha- than they have this year and that was what I thought Simon brought to the table and helped the defense overall um control the game or at least control it as much as they needed to so for play of the game I'd go Shane Simon obviously you could go to a lot of people um but you know and now that I gave my negative takeaway I'll go with my my optimistic or you know general takeaway is that and you know maybe maybe it's tooting Mount Horror here but I was right about Ian Book I've like I've I've said it to not only here but just to different people like I've always just seen Ian Book as maybe yeah maybe not like a Mac Jones a Trevor Lawrence a Justin Fields whatever you want to talk about he's probably not going to play on Sundays to much extent but he wins games and he just guts things out and he had you know there was so many times where he could have folded after the after the fumble after the initial failed game tying drive that ended on the fourth down incompletion you know, with the overturn pass interference, there was a lot of times where I think a lot of quarterbacks fold and Ian book didn't. And then he hit the pass that like everyone has been criticizing for him for not being able to hit, which was a 50 yard pass to set up a, and then leads them to two touchdowns in overtime. So that was my biggest takeaway. Ian book is an absolute competitor and he's Notre Dame is going to be in every single game as long as he, with this defense and with Ian Book at quarterback, they're going to be in it until the fourth quarter in every game. Uh, before Charlotte responds, because I saw she wanted to say something, um, just a couple quick points based on what you said. One, totally agree about Book. They're going to be in every game with him. He is a winner. He's a competitor. Um, all the like starting white, quarterback attributes that you give like a you know he's a gym rat although you don't technically you know what I mean come on like six foot nothing former three-star recruit what are you gonna say so um there's that um I did want to say uh about the you mentioned the uh overturned pass interference call and the review on that one touchdown that ended up being one yard short um can we fire those ACC referees uh and like ship them off to like the Sun Belt or something because that, that they were killing the vibes it, of that game. That and also if Dabo Sweeney could stop bringing his checkbook to the games, um, that would you be will, helpful. You will the not convince of, me that he did not intimidate those refs. Into oh, he absolutely. It was it was clear pass interference, and then there was like two or three earlier. It was like that wasn't pass interference, but the one on Clemson's take the lead drive was. Yeah, see, that's the, I, like I could see you not calling that one, but if you're going to give the ticky tack pass interference to JOK on that touchdown drive, give it to the Clemson guy. So, um, yes, with all that said, um, and, and Book, I think, is now officially the best quarterback of the Brian Kelly tenure. Um, and. I mean, Deshaun Kaiser's probably got the only other argument, but, like, Kaiser lost more games than he won in his Notre Dame career, I think, because of the 2016 season. And then uh, he's probably the best quarterback since Brady Quinn, maybe even better than Brady Quinn, just because, like, his teams are better if you want to evaluate the quarterback based on his teams. Um I mean, yeah, Brady Quinn was more talented. But anyway, Charlotte, what, what did you want to say on all of that? Uh, honestly, I can hold off. Mine was just jumping on something that Aiden said, but it'll kind of be rolled up into my prediction. So no need okay. to chime in now. So um, 
that's enough Clemson discussion for now, at least from this game. I do want to ask one more question. Then we'll talk a little bit about what happened around college football, a little bit other Notre Dame sports, and we'll wrap. Um, how do you guys think the ACC championship plays out now, assuming Notre Dame gets a rematch with Clemson there? And assuming that Notre Dame will have Braden Lindsey back, Clemson will have their defensive starters they were missing, and Trevor Lawrence back. I'd give the edge to Clemson. I think for sure yeah. they're going to come out with vengeance. I think they're going to have more um, tools at their disposal on both both sides of the ball. I think they've been in that situation before. They do it like clockwork. Um, but I wouldn't count us out. I think that things. I think that not only have we proven that we are that Notre Dame is a good team, but also there's a certain swagger and confidence that comes out of last week that they're not going to fold over the moment they go down 10-0 against Clemson. So um, I would still give Clemson the edge. I think that, yeah, I don't really have anything else to add. Aiden, what's your take? Yeah, I think it'd be um, foolishly optimistic. I consider myself generally optimistic, but I think it'd be foolishly optimistic to not say that Clemson is still probably the better, the more talented team. Um, I think it's particularly at the skill positions, Clemson's got two receivers. That would be the number one, uh, number one receiver on pretty much any team in the country. They've got obviously one of the better backs in the country, even if he had a bad game, they've got two quarterbacks that would be starting on pretty much any roster in the country. So they've got, they've got a lot of skill position guys. I think Notre Dame will still be the better team in the trenches. Um, I, especially against a Clemson's offensive line, because I think Clemson's offensive line was relatively healthy and didn't really do much. Um, Clemson's defensive line, defensive front had some issues. But I think ultimately, yeah, I think Clemson's still the more talented team. But like I alluded to before, I don't think, you know, there was somebody saying, like, you know, given all the injuries that Clemson had, like they're going to come out and beat Notre Dame by 30. I don't see a single team in the country beating Notre Dame by more than 10 points this year maybe two touchdowns, like if it's a bad game. On that uh, note about injuries, I do think it's important to consider, and this is true of any team, further you go on the season, more likely you are to have injured players. The difference between Clemson and Notre Dame, Clemson seems to have the depth to be able to reload and get through one game. I hope it doesn't come to that, but um, I do think that Notre Dame has not they've not been put in a situation and they've not historically proven over the Brian Kelly era that they can go down a player. And I mean, we saw what happened with Julian Love at the, at the Cotton Bowl. That was a game changer. Um, well, and yes, that is all accurate. Um, although Notre Dame's corners got burned this year, but their offense responded. That's the one thing. Um, because their offensive line was just so much better. Their tight ends are better. Their quarterback is not who he was in 2018, but I want to say better because he played better against Clemson uh, and the running backs are certainly better. So yeah, that's, that's all valid. But um, with that, let's do a really quick uh, look around college football. As we mentioned, um, Ohio state number three behind Notre Dame, Alabama, number one in front of them. Um Bunch of SEC games getting canceled because of COVID this weekend. Alabama LSU's postponed, um, and a few others. I can't remember all the matchups. Uh, Ohio State's game against um, Maryland is uh, canceled now. Uh, Big Ten's falling apart because Wisconsin's about to play five games this year. Um, so yeah, that's. And then the Pac-12 is was back. USC. Scrapes out a win because Arizona State blows it. Oregon's got a real chance to run the table because Pac-12 is just not very deep. And, uh, yeah, it's a two-horse race in the ACC still. It's so weird to think Notre Dame joins the conference for a year, ends Clemson's ACC win streak just because they're a one-year conference member. Oh, I bet all the people saying Notre Dame needs to join a conference would love to see that. So – um, that's all we really need to talk about in college football this week. Do want to give a quick shout out to Notre Dame men's and women's basketball that will be starting up in late November, early December. Mo uh, the complete men's schedule was released yesterday. We we're recording this on a Wednesday. 
uh, and the women's schedule came out today. Uh, do you guys get a chance to see that men's schedule? I took a quick look at it. I haven't. I mean, we're not going to be on campus for about seventy percent of it, so I don't. I, I'd be lying if I said I paid a ton of attention. But like, I mean, obviously we've got all the the normal home games against ACC or the normal ACC schedule. The ACC Big Ten Challenge is interesting. Yep. But, yeah, I don't have much more to add to that. Well, the interesting thing is that their schedule currently includes the preseason number four team, Virginia, number nine team, Duke, number 10 team, Kentucky, number 12 team, Tennessee, number 13 team, Michigan State, number 23 team, Ohio State, plus Purdue and Syracuse. Uh, and they go play Howard on or right around MLK Day. So it is a an absolute gauntlet. Uh, they're, I mean, I don't know what Mike Bray was thinking. I personally love it just because, like, oh, my goodness, so many marquee names. But, yeah, they're probably going to get the crap beat out of them a couple times. And that's okay because what the heck, it's a COVID year. Um, and then women's basketball, Neil Ivey's first year as head coach. Uh, currently their first game is scheduled for December 13th against Georgia Tech, although I think – because right now they've only released the ACC schedule for them, and she said that there were going to be four to five non-conference games. So I assume those will be released at a later date. Um, and then the soccer teams are prepping for the ACC tournament. Uh, so with all of that said, uh, we'll go ahead and get to the rest of our predictions. Do either of you want to uh, pick up where Ellen left off? Sure, I'll go real quick. Um... So I'm actually going to take a different route than Ellen. I actually think Boston College is pretty good. I think they have a lot of talent. I don't think they have a lot of experience. Um, I think that just watching the Clemson game alone, you saw how they crumbled under pressure. But I think they've got some real weapons, um, particularly in the pass, like in the receiving end. They don't really run the ball very well, which that's I don't expect that to change up against a Notre Dame defensive line that generally can stop the run game pretty well. So this will be I but I do think going back to that area of concern, this will be a real test for the secondary. I was actually pretty surprised. I've always felt like the secondary is the one position that seems pretty reliable and they did not look that way against Clemson. They were getting burned and like Aiden said, they probably should have gotten burned a few more times and had to pay for it. Um, so I think that will really be um, highlighted this weekend. You know, Dracovic, he, he's gotten criticized for how he just throws the, throws the ball into the end zone. And it's true, he lacks the accuracy, but you throw it enough times, you're bound to find a receiver. And, you know, it's hard to come back from a 50 to 70-yard gain. So I think that they can't afford – this team is good enough that you can't just let – one or two deep balls get thrown and trust that you're going to get there. Um, so I think this game will be, I think Notre Dame's going to win 38-24. I think you're giving their offense, or BC's offense, a lot of credit there. But yeah, I, I agree. I think Boston College is a better team than Ellen was was saying. They're not great, but again, like I said earlier, Jeff Halfley is working wonders there um, very early. Um, I'll go ahead and give my prediction, and then Aiden can wrap it up for us. Um, I do not see this being a trap game. I think Brian Kelly has gotten the Notre Dame program to the point where they don't really fall for this sort of thing. Um, I mean, we saw, you know, Pitt was supposed to be the ultimate trap game, and look how that turned out. They blew them out of the water. I don't – I mean, I do anticipate that they will, quote, unquote, blow Boston College out. I don't think they'll score 45 points. My prediction is 34 to 14. Uh, so, yeah, that's – that's. I mean, Boston College will put up a fight, and they're very well coached. Phil Dracovic will be motivated, but I think – the way in which he is motivated, Notre Dame is also motivated to beat him. So, yeah, 34-14. Yeah, uh, I'm going to – I did have it written down here before, so it's, it's, it's going to be pretty similar to your score. Um, I'm going 34-17, Notre Dame. I think, you know, Ellen was out here giving Notre Dame 49 or 56 points. 
as much as I love to see the optimism coming from I mean, from we got Ellen. finals next week. Like, they're not putting up 49 points with finals next week. I mean, to be fair, I think many football players have less riding on finals than we do um, in general. I mean, yeah, we don't have a Drew Tranquil mechanical engineer on, on this team, I don't think. Um, was, oh, we do have Cameron, we do have Cameron Ekanayaka. The walk-on that was a finalist for the Rhodes Scholarship to Oxford. Which they- is very impressive. And not to uh, go put that down on any level, he will likely not be responsible for 49 points against BC. Very fair um, point, because I think he's on the defensive side of the ball, but I might that, be about Many, that. many things. Um, but so I'm going to go 34-17. I think – Notre Dame's offense is good. I don't see this being close at any particular point. I see it playing out somewhat similar to the Georgia Tech game where maybe Notre Dame doesn't have, like, the margin of victory of, like, a 73-7 to or, a, you know, some of these huge blowouts. I just don't think Notre Dame's built that way to blow teams out like that. Um, I don't think BC's offense really gets that much going against them. If you exclude – let's see. So, Clemson put up 40. Uh, Florida State put up 26. Other than that, what has Notre Dame given up this year? They gave up 13 to Georgia Tech, 13 to Duke, shut out Florida State, 7 to Louisville, 3 to Pitt. I might be missing a game. I'm not sure. Did you say Duke? 13 to Duke? I said Duke, yeah. So, honestly, I think I got out of them. Outside of the two games that they gave up 40 and 26 in, I think they've given up, like – I don't think they've given up more than 13 in any other game. No, they haven't. So I don't, I don't see BC doing that um, or doing much more than that 13, 17 type total. Um, and I think Notre Dame does plenty on offense. They take care of the ball. They're not going to make any stupid uh, turnover mistake. You know, any, anything that could really make a quasi trap game, a legitimate trap game. When you start beating yourself with those errors, um, you saw Clemson with the the fumble return touchdown against BC that really had that momentum going one way. Um, I don't think Notre Dame does those kind of things. And, yeah, so I think it's going to be a pretty clean win. Uh, Kyron Williams has a good day. Ian Book has a very Ian Book efficient, consistent type of game. And Notre Dame wins 34-17. All right, there you have it. In uh, our longest episode of the season, we cracked the hour mark a little bit ago. Um, before we go though, Aiden, about that pick six in the Turkey Bowl, huh? Yeah, I mean, Aiden, I've I've heard I've been coming under fire for that, but to be honest, like you act like I was all, all sad. I've just been out here on a victory tour from winning the game. You sound like uh, the Clemson linebacker who forced the fumble from Ian Book and is neglecting to remember that Ian Book absolutely torched the defense after that. Wasn't that th- Jake Venables? Wasn't that Brent Venables' son? It was, was Jake Venables who forced the fumble, I'm pretty sure. Um, but, yeah, you are, you are neglecting to remember the part where I proceeded to torch the defense for two more touchdowns. Ian Book throws 55-yard dimes. I throw 20-yard lofty occasionally dimes. They're different, sure, but when it comes down to the results, me and Ian Book together, man, I mean, our combined record at Notre Dame is 30-3. and three. So, stats don't lie. I don't know what to say. Yeah, I have a pick six on my record, but I, I mean, I get, I get results, man, and that, that's all I'm here for. Yeah, yeah, Brian Kelly said it. Winning is hard, and yes, we gave a shout-out to Stephen Hannon, associate sports editor, for that scoop and score on the bizarre lateral play that my teammates did not tell me we were running on the last play. Uh, and by the way, not like a, a lack of team leadership from a senior, yeah. our senior editor, not a pick six, pick one, because we were counting by ones and uh, yeah. Oh, and, and my fantasy team streaking four and five now in this league, I'm on a roll. Yeah, that's, that's not going to last, but it's okay, man. We'll let you have your time. It's okay. I mean, if you look at your You're roster, it's just, people- it's just, as long as people keep playing, as long as my opponents keep playing three players that are on the injury waiver. Yeah, maybe maybe if you face another team starting Dak Prescott, a quarterback, you'll get another win. Hey, a win's a win. Winning is hard. You just said it. That is true. All right. Respect that's the, the process. 
we we had to we had to reconcile this this little thing that's been going on because you've been dodging the podcast the last couple of weeks. But I'm kidding. I know you're right. Well, I was doused in champagne, just reveling in my in my victory. So didn't have time. Didn't have time to make an appearance with some some washed up editor reveling in his one big play in the game. So very says, sorry. Says the club ultimate frisbee player. Sick bro. All right. Yes, I'm a washed-up athlete. I admit it. All right, we're rambling on too long. And before people start running out of my dorm chanting one, four, five, my name is Hayden Adams on behalf of Aiden Thomas, Ellen Geyer, and Charlotte Edmonds. This has been the Basement Breakdown. Notre Dame just beat Clemson as the number two team in the country. Let's get it.